Or dear ones, I'd like to greet you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Do me a favor, join me as we approach the throne of God in prayer. And so let's pray. Your loving kindness, O Lord eternal, has given us another day of grace with all your promises and benedictions. Grant that we may accept it with grateful hearts and use each hour to the honor of your name. Let not the many vexations, challenges, and even frustrations of this day rob us of the joyful and hopeful outlook of life that is ours because of faith that we have in Christ Jesus and in the numerous promises that you have made to us in your holy word. If discouraged, let us approach your throne in prayer and learn again that nothing, yes, nothing can separate us from your love through him who was crucified for us. O oh Lord, please abide with us throughout this day. Keep us in your grace. Please watch over us. Please allow this day to be rich in service to you and to those that we come in contact with. O oh Lord, lead us to streams of living water. Root us in your love and grow us up to bear the fruit of your spirit. Love, joy, peace. Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And then, Father, I want to extend my prayers to go beyond just the needs of this community. The news tells us that over 1,000 were killed in Haiti and 30 in the States due to the fury of Hurricane Matthew. Flooding due to the aftermath of Matthew has left thousands displaced from their homes Many of these have lost all. And so, Lord, I come to you asking that you would bring comfort to those who need to feel your love and comfort and to know that you will meet all their needs. And then, Lord, as Dr. O comes to share with us, may our ears be open to hear your message, our hearts tender to receive what you desire for us, our feet and our hands ready to then move out in obedience to your word. And I pray this in the wonderful, wonderful name of Jesus Christ. And all God's people said, amen. You may be seated. Well, it's obviously a privilege to be with you all this morning and really appreciate the worship. Uh, it just continues to amaze me how God uses people in so many different ways. And certainly those words today, I've honestly never heard that second song before. But man, does that line up with what we're going to talk about this morning. This is a really easy topic for me, partly because uh, Scripture is so uh, ripe with the idea of love. That's who God is. That's his character. And on the other hand, I just became a new granddad three weeks ago. So, yeah. Uh, Ellie's in the house, and she's going to come up here in a second. But before we get there, we're going to look at some Scripture. If we could forward to Hebrews 10... Our theme this year, this semester, is God's will. And if we read Hebrews 10, it's kind of clear on what that looks like. For God's will was for us to be made holy by the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all time. What we're looking at there is, okay, wait, what does it mean to be holy? What does it mean to take that step? What does it mean to align ourselves with God in a way that promotes that? If we understand that as being, we want to understand his love, we want to capture that love, we want to embrace that love, then that's going to give us the ability to do that. 
I want to tell just a couple stories to contextualize this chapel, just a little bit of people that struggled with that love. I was sitting in a Sunday school class at a typical church. It was an adult class. This was several years ago, not in this area. It was where I came from up in Mishawaka. And we were having a conversation, and the Sunday school teacher asked an interesting question. He said, how would you feel if you were standing getting ready to walk into heaven, and somebody like Hugh Hefner walked up beside you, and God said to both of you, Hugh Hefner, by the way, started Playboy and all that stuff, if some of you aren't familiar with that name. But what if, you walked, what if both of you walked up and God said, welcome to both of you? What if Hugh Hefner, you know, at some time very late in life, right before his death, actually accepts the Lord? And it was fascinating to watch the reaction of some of the people in this small adult Sunday school class. Because as you can imagine, with a conservative evangelical paradigm going on there, some of the guys reacted kind of quickly. And the reaction was, whoa, 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 whoa. That would be so not fair. Hugh Hefner gets to go to heaven. I had to obey all my life. He got to live like that and kind of, you know, whatever. And he gets to walk. No, no, I'm not good with that. It kind of went on like that a little bit. Some of the, not too many of the wives said anything at that point, which was intriguing to me. But as we talked about that a little bit, I, I sat there and thought, wait a second, something is wrong with this picture. And so I stopped the class. I said, you guys, would you trade what you have in your faith walk? Do you understand God's love in a way that you would give it up for what you think Hugh Hefner's life is? Ah, uh, we're not thinking right. Well, right away, of course, the guys started turning their story around. Okay, okay, oh no, you got us, uh, wait. Let, and, and again, their wives are sitting there trying to figure this out. And, you know, uh, it was kind of funny. But obviously, there was something missing in their perspective. Something that said, wait a second, what is the best thing going? Later on, after that, we had an interesting, uh, a lady that came and spoke in a session that I was in about her journey through the death of her family. She was driving down the road in a minivan with her husband and kids, and a drunk driver hit them head on. She had three kids in the car and her husband. Her husband was killed. Two of the kids were killed. One of the kids was a quadriplegic, and she walked away. A year and a half later, she came and talked to this group about what that meant to her. And one thing that she shared with us really stuck with me. She said, People have asked me an interesting question, a question that is troublesome to them, but no longer troublesome to me. And that is this, if you could go back in time and you could change that moment, would you? And her reply was kind of difficult. And you know, once in a while today, I might get a little emotional because there's only two things that make me emotional, my faith and my kids. But her reply was really interesting. She said, you know what? From that journey over the last year and a half that I've had and the depth of my relationship that I now share with God, I wouldn't. I wouldn't go back in time and trade my family for this relationship. And we pondered that for a long time. There were people that really struggled with that. There were some of the kids that really struggled with that. Wait a second, you're my parent and I'm dead and you wouldn't give me my life back? We had to honor, obviously, that statement, and we're not here to unpack whether or not that's valid or not, but what we can grasp is the intimacy that she gained 
with God because of this experience and what we're going through in this earth. So when we ask that question, wait a second, how loving is a God that would allow that to happen? He's loving enough to walk the entire way through that difficulty with that person. So when we think about love, what I want to do is challenge our thoughts about love a little bit today and use those two things as kind of a spectrum. Katie, come on up. And we'll use some other things as a bit of a spectrum here. This is Ellie, and we're pretty excited to have Ellie around. And of course, since she's three weeks old, I had to show her off since everybody's here. Well, fumble. That's okay. Grandpas can make mistakes. I'm just new at this, right? I've got three girls. I'm going to tell you a little bit about a couple of them. But Ellie, what I want you guys to see right here, I'll give you that. This is my daughter, Katie. This is Ellie. And this is not hard for you to imagine that I love them with every bone in my body, right? That's not hard for you to get. All I want you to see today is that this is easy. This love does exist. And Katie never did do anything that made me not love her. There were some days I didn't like her, right? (laughs) But never did I not love her. The other day I asked her the question, you know, Katie, when do you remember the first time you thought you knew that dad loved you? And she thought about it for a second and she said, I never had a first thought. I always knew that you did. And for us to take this journey together now is kind of interesting because when I think about Ellie, you guys have heard the expression love at first sight. This was love at first sight. But honestly, when Katie got pregnant, I can remember already loving this baby. I didn't know who she was. I didn't know what she was yet. But I loved her. Thanks, Katie. Right? That is not hard. Yeah. That is not hard at all for you guys to fathom. You can see that. One of the questions then that we really wrestle with in our faith journey is, why is it so hard to see God that way? Why is God's love so hard to really embrace? And we're going to just try to unpack that a little bit and what that love really looks like. When we Talk about being a father and God is our father. I'm gonna tell two quick stories on my kids to illustrate just this reality of fatherhood. And it it is uh, kind of a contrast to the two kids and, and part of it is Katie's. When we were, Katie was three, we moved into the dorm at Bethel College and I was a residence director and we had a suite right there in the dorm. And so Katie and Christy, her younger sister, for some reason, the heating tended to be on more a lot of the time. So it was warm in our apartment and these two would constantly be taking their clothes off. So finally, I said, ladies, listen, this is a guy's dorm. I understand the fact that you're toddlers, but for goodness sakes, you got to at least keep a shirt on here. We can't have shirtless kids running around. So we did that. We made that rule. Well, the following that first spring semester, we had some friends come over who had never been there. They walked up into the dorm, knocked on our door. Deb and I were busy preparing something. So we said, Katie, answer the door. Katie was pretty articulate as a young person. And so she walked up, opened the door and said, hi, guys, come on in. You can take your pants off if you want to, but you got to keep your shirt on. <laughs> to which these two people stood in the door and made no reply. They tried to process why a three-year-old would be telling them that. They couldn't get there, right? Okay. But that's, that's kind of the way Katie was always a thinker. One time when she was younger and she had done some things to hurt Christy, I explained to her, her, her answer when I asked her why she did that was always, Dad, I didn't mean to. I didn't mean to. Okay? Well, honey, I explained to her one time, you have to mean not to. 
right? You can't play with knives over top of Christy and one drop on her and then you say, I didn't mean to, right? You should intend not to do that. That day I went to work, I came back and taped to every door in the house at this level was in block letters, think, taped around the walls, her door, the door to the basement, think, okay? That's Katie. Emily, on the other hand, who's with us today as well, Emily's a senior here. Katie's obviously graduated some time ago. Emily, on the other hand, as a three-year-old, we were in our apartment down in Bloomington. I was doing my doctoral work, my coursework down there. And we had a small apartment, so we made a rule for the kids. Listen, when you bring your toys out to play because there's such limited space, when you're done playing, you got to take them back to your room. We can't leave stuff and say, I'm going to come back to it later. So this one night, I got back from class, and we're playing. Deb, playing. Deb's getting dinner ready. And as it turned out, I'm playing with Emily, and I'm laying on my back, and she's by now laying on my stomach, and she's playing with these little figurines and whatever. We're just, you know, goofing around. So Deb comes out and says, hey, dinner's ready. And I, so I said to Emily, honey, it's time for you to put your stuff away. You know the rule. You can just cooperate with Dad, or Dad can spank you and make you do it. Okay, Emily's three. She's got her hand under her chin. She looks at me and says, you're going to have to spank me. I looked past her at Deb, and I said, honey, did you hear that? She said, yeah. I said, uh, Emily, let's do this again. You can just cooperate with Dad. You can take your stuff. You can put it back, or I can spank you and make you do it. Let me think. Uh, nope, you're going to have to spank me. <laughs> so this kid's still got a diaper on, so I reach around. Her butt's sticking up in the air, and I swat it, right? She whimpers a little bit, picks up her stuff, and takes it back to her room. Thinking, God, how many times have I done that to you? right? I mean, why is it that we are so involuntary in some different phases and places of our life? So what we want to unpack just a little bit is the context of this, and I'm going to watch our time a little bit, and we need to go to First Peter, uh, our next passage here, and I'm going to read that in a second. But one of the things that we want to unpack here, and I'm going to make sure I've got what I want here, yep. One of the things that we want to unpack is part of this experience in terms of understanding God's love is that we're heavenly creatures having an earthly experience. And some of you guys have probably uh, heard that before. And I'm going to slur that off the page, okay? But what that means is we've got an eternal God, an infinite God that created a finite experience, right? That finite experience we are now living in, but that finite experience started with an enemy. And in the middle of all that, there was a cross, right? So we're living in this. I don't know if you've ever asked this question, but you know how many people have already lived and died in this world, in this earthly experience? Population experts estimate about 110 billion people. That makes this current earthly population about 7% of the number of people who have lived and died. We're obviously somewhere on this continuum, on this segment out here. But we believe, right, in an eternal experience. Something is still going to happen yet. There is that afterlife. There is those things that are going to happen. Let's see what First Peter says. This salvation that we've talked about was something even the prophets wanted to know more about when they prophesied about this gracious salvation prepared for us. They wondered what time or situation the Spirit of Christ within them was talking about when he told them in advance about Christ's suffering and his great glory afterwards. So the people on this side of that cross were wondering what that cross was going to look like. 
They were told that their messages were not for themselves, but for you, for people that were coming after that. And now this good news has been announced to you by those who preached in the power of the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Watch this. This is kind of an interesting part of that. Talking about the prophets looking forward. It's all so wonderful that even the angels are eagerly watching these things happen. You know why angels are eagerly watching this thing happen? Because they were born in light. They were always good. They were created good. They've seen God from the beginning. Kind of like Katie saying, I've always known, Dad, that you loved me. I was telling her that I loved her before she could comprehend language, right? I was treating her like I loved her before she could comprehend that treatment, okay? Angels are watching us because we're passing from fallenness to light. We have to go on a journey, and we're going to unpack that journey here just a little bit this morning when we look at that. So one of the equations, one of the things, I was a former high school math teacher. I know that makes me a nerd, but that's okay. When we look at what is God... God equals love. Love, we're going to say, equals freedom. There's no freedom anywhere else but in God's love. And we're going to ask ourselves, freedom for what? Freedom to choose. We're going to talk briefly about that. Freedom from darkness. And freedom to reveal him to the world. Okay? And these illustrations are going to be really quick. But when we look at freedom to choose, I have a little analogy here that I have to use. And since I am the golf coach for our women, uh, I'm going to knock a couple of these up into the stage. You guys right down here in front, don't get nervous because I'm a professional. Okay. But when we look at the game of golf, one of the things I love about it is it has a lot of illustrations that are useful for life. And we talk about that with our team. A little shout out to the team down here. Everybody wave. Yeah, there's our ladies golf team. They're doing a great job this year. Yep, yep, we can give that up. But when we look at what happens here, there's something really important, and I'm going to swing and talk at the same time, which is even more uh, impressive. Yeah, that's going to, it's okay, it's carpeted, right? Yeah, you guys are close. Oh, now see, that wasn't supposed to happen. Hold on. You guys okay if I try one more? Okay, I'll just pretend to try one more. Yeah, we're, we're taking a beating here. Okay, so let's say that that is happening, and I'm on the practice range. Here's the illustration. If I'm on the practice range getting ready to compete, and I leave that practice range, and I've hit a few of those. Sorry, guys. If I've hit a few of those, or if I'm just killing it. Somewhere over here is my starting tee, and I head off to this place, and I say, okay, I'm ready to play. There was a guy who does professional sports psychology that was actually meeting with a group of pro golfers. So these guys, they literally are professionals. Uh, these guys are talking about how they mentally prepare to play. And his point to them was, when you're done warming up, when you're down on the range, if you've hit a bunch of bad ones, then you've got to go over to that first tee and tell yourself all the bad ones are out of the way, right? You've got to choose to put your mind in the best state you can put it for competition, However, if you're over here on the practice tee and you're striping it, you're hitting a bunch of good ones, okay, then you've got to go over here to the first tee and you've got to say, wow, I've really got it going on today. Here we go. You know what's fascinating about that? One of the guys actually stood up in the crowd and he said, dude, you can't have it both ways. And you know what that guy said to him? Uh, you have to. Now, you're in a battle, you're in a competition, and you have a choice to make 
that God gives you, nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. Nothing. So when you're making the decision of how I'm going to think, it is absolutely within your power and capability to do so, to choose. You can and you must. What kind of choices are we making? We're going to just do one more illustration. We've got a couple of different people up here on stage with me today. I was thinking about bringing real people up here, but I was scared about what they might do. You know, college students and all. Okay, so each one of these mic stands is a person. That person is that great little Christian kid that was raised in a nice environment that is pretty obedient, doing good things, and they're going to take this journey to this circle in front of the cross. Okay? This person, totally opposite. So yeah, we've got a spectrum here, and opposite ends of the spectrum. This is baggage. This is pain and misery and hurt and difficulty in their life. This person's one of those people in the middle. Um, we'll, we'll leave it here kind of on the side, but they've got some baggage, you know, some small luggage and some little trophies. I don't remember what that trophy was. I grabbed it out of Connor's room, but anyway, or family's room, one or two. So when we look at the spectrum of where you are in life, one of the questions we're trying to ask is, what's God's call on my life to enter this circle, this circle being the circle of truth, where I accept his definition of me? No matter where you are in this journey, if you're somebody that, well, my parents went to church and I kind of didn't know, but I've done some really stupid stuff and I, eh, whatever, but I did, I did go to youth group and I did, you know, whatever. Okay, you got to sort through that. If you're this person over here that, man, I've got some serious struggles, Oak, you don't understand. You have a student that I've spent some time with over the past few years that has a lot of this that was an Iowa student, came here and worked her way through a ton of baggage. She's now standing here, right? You guys have heard a lot of testimonies of these things. That reality is that God's love allows us to take this journey to this place. God's redemption through his son allows anybody from anywhere to come and stand with his definition of them. But you know what? Notice what I'm just bringing here. I'm not bringing this right? And they're not bringing that. This definition says that Christ, we need our next verse there if we could. Hebrews says, so dear brothers and sisters, we can boldly enter heaven's most holy place. This place where I understand that God's definition of me is all about him. We can boldly enter that place because of the blood of Jesus. By his death, Jesus opened a new and life-giving way through the curtain into the most holy place. Since we have a great high priest who rules over God's house, let us go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts, fully trusting him. Next. For our guilty consciences have been sprinkled with Christ's blood to make us clean, and our bodies have been washed with pure water. When we, you guys are all on a journey. You hear that illustration a lot. No matter where you are on that journey, one of the core beliefs you have to have is that you can actually make that choice to accept Christ's redemption. Some people even need to accept the fact that I need redeeming. There was one point in my life, I was raised in a great Christian home. I got to give my parents a lot of credit. They loved me to death. They had great role models. But there was a time in here when I was coming to Christ and Christ said, yeah, all that stuff you got is worthless to me. You got to get in here and you got to take my definition of you and then it's all about me because here's where truth lies. Truth is that you are not for you. Truth is, 
God made all of us for him to bring glory to him. If I accept that definition, I can relate to other people properly. I can relate to other people well. I can love well. I can love him. I can live in freedom. I can move out of that darkness to light, which is what the angels love to watch. Angels love to see how God changes hearts and moves people into the center of truth. This is both a momentary experience. You can come to that altar right now and you can choose to live here. It's also an ongoing experience. Anybody will tell you that's not a one-time thing. I have to maintain that commitment. I have to maintain the disciplines to allow me to stay in truth. Why? Because there are drunk drivers. And it doesn't matter if you're a Christian, somebody out there is gonna bring a circumstance to your life that is really challenging for you to deal with. So God's love, let me go back one step. God's will is for us to understand his love in a way that we can live it out to the world around us and bring glory to him. When we come to this circle though, all of us either get to or need to differentiate ourselves from the external aspects of who we are. This is the real truth about who we are, no matter where we come from. When we get here, God just wants us to simply say, wait a second, if you're somebody that has found this truth and you're wrestling with it and trying to live in it, would you please go look for people who are over there? Do you know, I mean, it doesn't take long to talk to students here on campus and realize some of them, if I can use this illustration, it, it's a little bit unfair maybe at times, but there's our students down in the front of chapel that are, that are rolling and rocking pretty good, rocking and rolling pretty good with their faith. But there's other people sitting in here that quite frankly don't even believe that God is love. Can you spend some time with them? Can you talk to them? Is God asking you? Band can come out now. Is God asking you to reach out to those people, to pay attention to those people? There was a, a quote made some time ago. Kids become adolescents when they realize that adults aren't perfect. Adolescents become adults when they realize that they can forgive other people. Adults become saved when they realize they can forgive themselves. If you can forgive yourself, if you can step into that truth and be defined, make that journey into the light, God's got a place for you here. God's got work for you to do in reflecting his love. He is love. Thanks.